The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. So, as I said earlier, my name was Becky, it still is Becky, and I have the pleasure of introducing tonight's speaker. Tonight's speaker is one of our interns. Uh, you get every year, you get the privilege to hear from each of our interns at some point in the year. And uh, one thing that you might not know about tonight's speaker, she's the only person I know personally who has her own YouTube channel. And you should check it out. And she's also the only one of two people, and there's the other one right there, who I know who knows how to unicycle. And she's the only one I know who knows how to unicycle and play the guitar at the same time. And there's evidence of that on YouTube. So you should check out her YouTube channel. Um, I got to know Tracy, who is our speaker tonight, uh, four years ago when she was a student here at the Inn, sitting out there like you guys. And one thing that I immediately knew about Tracy was when she was excited about something, because it is evident. Tracy, when she is excited about something, she is excited about something, you know what I mean? And um, the thing that Tracy is most excited about, and I'm not exaggerating, is sharing the love of Jesus. And that's why we hired her to be an intern with us this year. And one of her favorite books, so she's really excited tonight, is Romans. And she gets to share about that. So please join, I always say that, please join me in welcoming Tracy. Thank you. Wow. Thank you for that intro, Becky. Um, Man, I am excited to be here tonight. Can you tell? Um, Yeah. Uh, As Becky said, my name is Tracy, and I am an intern here at the inn. Um, I grew up in Olympia, O-Town represent, and I went to UW. I studied psychology and comparative religion. Um, And while I was in college, as Becky said, I was very much so involved in the inn. I remember coming to the inn as a freshman every week, sitting on the floor and looking up and seeing the interns and thinking, wow, they are so cool. Like, I can't even talk to them. They are so cool. Like, they are way up here on coolness factor. I'm way down here. And now that I'm an intern, I definitely hope that you guys don't feel that way about me because I don't really feel cool. I feel very approachable, which should be a good thing for all of you. I look younger than most of you, so I don't really look intimidating. So if you guys think I'm cool, that's great. So be it. You can be the judge of that. (laughs) Um, So anyway, so when Ryan approached me and told me that I would be speaking on Romans tonight, I was like, of course, I love Romans. It's my favorite book in the whole Bible. I'm super stoked. Let's do this. And a funny story, actually, because Romans 8 in particular, which is what I'm speaking on tonight, is actually very near and dear to my heart because when I was in high school, um, I went on a mission trip with my youth group down to Mexico. We took a road trip. um, And on the way down there, we stopped um, at Six Flags along the way. And my youth pastor, he told our, our whole youth group that we were not allowed to enter the park until we had memorized Romans 8, not the whole chapter, but Romans 8, verses 1 through 5. We had to memorize that and recite it to his face. And so that's kind of a large chunk of scripture. I don't know. But anyway, I was really excited. I love roller coasters, so I did it. I memorized it, and here is proof right there. See? 
I'm on the roller coaster. I made it in. Um, that's actually me and my friend Sarah um, on X when it first opened in 2004. Um, yeah, I just think this picture is really funny. Um, so you can just see the sheer terror on my face. I am, like, frightened. Um, so, yeah, as much as I love not being scared, there's a part of me that actually really likes being scared. I kind of am like, oh, yeah, give me more. So in addition to that, I love, like, scary movies, for example. Um, not only do I like documentaries, that's my favorite genre, but scary movies, mm, second favorite genre. Um, like, take Saw, for instance. Like, I know I know it's kind of gory, it has really bad acting, all the Saws after it are awful, don't watch them. But Saw 1 is pretty decent, like, the plot and the twist at the end, very good. Like, okay, so I was sitting there by myself. I actually watched Saw by myself, because that's just who I am. And I was sitting there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that dead guy? is getting up right now, and he's walking out of the room. This is not right. This is messing with my mind. This is creepy. This is scary. I'm going to cry myself to sleep right now. And that's what I did. No, just joking. <laughs> um, sorry for all of you if I ruined the twist of the movie, but I feel like it's old enough that if you wanted to see it, you would have seen it already. So you'll forgive me. <laughs> uh, and not only do I love being scared, but I love to scare people. So here's a taste of what I do in my free time if you want to direct your attention to the screen right now. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, that was actually my mom. And at the end, hopefully you heard her, she was like, I'm going to break the camera. But I don't think she realized that I was actually using her digital camera to film that. So if she would have broken it, I wouldn't have had to pay for it. Um, <laughs> All right. Um, so... That, oh yeah, that was from my YouTube channel, by the way, youtube.com slash Tracy Spawn. You can subscribe. I always welcome new subscribers. Um, so that was my mom, and next picture, please. Um, this is actually my family. There's my mom. See, she's not dead. She did not die of fright. Um, my mom, Nancy, and my older brother, Jeff, and my older sister, Sally. And there's me. So there's my family. I love them to death. Um, all right, so as you can tell, I love being scared. And I just love the uncertainty and just that element of unpredictability, I guess you could say, about fear. And it's, there's something about it that just energizes me and gets me pumped up. Um, and I think the reason why I love it so much is because that it demands that I put my trust and my hope and my assurance in something greater than myself. So tonight I'm actually going to talk about fear as it relates to trust and hope. What can we put our trust in? What is it, what is it that will never, ever let us down? And what is it that's going to protect us in, in scary situations? Um, but before I answer all those questions, I think it's important to answer this question of who are we? Who are we as Christians? If Christ really does dwell in us, what does that make us? Um, so I think once I answer that question, I think we'll be better able to understand where our assurance comes from. So while I do that, please pray with me. Um, dear God, I, I thank you that your, your word is living and active, and I, and I pray that it will penetrate the hearts of these students tonight, not by my power, my power, but, but God, by your power alone. Thank you for changing my life. Um, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so tonight, tonight as I said, I'm going to touch on um, identities that we have as Christians. And tonight I'm going to talk about four in particular, um, four aspects of the new nature that, that God gives us. And all of these identities are explained um, pretty clearly in Romans 8. All right, so let's just get right to it. Um, the first one, righteous. That is our identity in Christ. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, Therefore, 
There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Um, And so he condemns sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. And I kind of want to narrow in on this phrase right here where it says, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, in us, not by us, but in us, meaning that the righteous requirements of the law have already been met, met by Jesus. And now they are placed in us so that we by nature are declared righteous. Um, righteous. So I know that Ryan touched on, on what righteousness and what righteous means, but I think I want to kind of go back to that this week um, and explain kind of what that is. And so I actually went on campus and asked students from various faith backgrounds what the word righteous means to them. And so I want to give you guys a chance to see their response um, right now. When I think of the word righteous, I think of um, doing the right things with the right intention. For me, it's following God's commandments, following all that he has told us to do, um, and doing it because he wants us to do it, because they're good things for us to do. I guess doing what you believe is right. You can have a righteous indignation to the point where you're, uh, you think you're so right, you'll cut off your nose to spite your face. Uh, I feel righteousness can simply be that you know you're doing what's right for you. Self-assurance in It's an ongoing process. I don't think Um, there's a definitive point where you are like wholly righteous, but I think it's that that progression of just kind of being aware of what's right and what's wrong and striving for what's right and when you do something wrong, um, kind of forsaking that and, and walking away from it. So finding a balance between like being good to people and being good to yourself. Like a general, like a be, being honest with people, being like a loyal to people. Understanding that all of all of humans have like this capacity to like to to be great. Right, just as the the idea that someone um, believes something and follows that belief to the letter. All right. So notice how a lot, not all, but most of those answers had to do with our ability to do righteous things, right? Being polite, obeying the law, not slipping up, right? I mean, these are all great examples of the fruit that righteousness brings. So to an extent, I guess they are decent answers. I'll give them that. But, but doing these things in and of themselves will not produce in you the righteousness, righteousness that God desires or even demands of you. In fact, doing these things in order to become righteous will only produce in you self-righteousness, which is exactly what, what God hates. And in, in the Bible, especially the New Testament, um, Paul emphasizes how, how being righteous actually means having a right standing before God, regardless of anything you, you can do or have done or will do. Um, in some Bible translations, some Bibles will use the word just instead of righteous because they essentially mean the same thing. The word justified means to declare righteous. The, word de- the words declare righteous mean um, justified. So it means kind of having a disposition of, of innocence and purity. That's why Paul says there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because 
If we are declared righteous, that means we are free from condemnation. It is a state of being rather than a state of doing. Does that make sense? So, so righteousness has far less to do with, with what you can do for God and has a lot more to do with who you are in relation to God. So, so righteous, that's my first point. That's what we are if, if Christ is in us. So let me ask you, is, is Christ in you? Are you declared righteous? Uh, my second point. Not only does God call us righteous, but he calls us something else as well. In verses 15 and 16, it says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship or, or adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Okay, so first of all, righteous. We got that down. Second of all, adopted children. Okay, so we got Jesus, the only begotten son, and then we have us, Christians, the adopted sons and daughters. Now, how many of you guys are adopted right now in your families or know someone who is? Um, Great, that's awesome. Um, So let me ask you, if a couple has a biological child and then they decide to adopt another child, which of those, which of those children has more value or worth, right? That's kind of a mean question because in reality, both of those children have the same value. Um, the adopted child has the same rights, the same blessings, and the same access to the parents as the biological child does. In the same way, us as Christians, we have the same rights, the same blessings, the same access to, to God the Father as Jesus does. God the Father cares for his adopted children as much as he cares for his only begotten son. Adopted children, that's what we are by nature if Christ is in us. Is Christ in you? Are you his adopted child? All right, let's read on. Point three. Um, verse 17, it says, Now we, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Okay, so first we got righteous. Second of all, we are children. And third, Paul says that we are called heirs. And if we are heirs of God, the Father, that must mean that we inherit something, right? Like, that's what an heir is. Something must get passed on to us. So what is it that gets passed on to us? I think you could argue that a lot of things get passed on to us, but I think the main thing that gets passed on to us is this. The assurance of eternal life. The assurance of knowing that one day, one day, death will cease to exist and we will be resurrected in glory. The assurance of knowing that eternal life can start today. Today is the day of salvation, Jesus says. And in the book of John, Jesus says that eternal life is this, knowing the Father and knowing the Son in this life and in the life to come. In other words, it's, an, it's a constant, ongoing, never-ending relationship with our Maker. It starts today and continues all throughout eternity. Eternal life doesn't merely mean existing forever. It means existing with God forever because He is the source of eternal life. An heir, that's what you are by nature if Christ is in you. Is Christ in you tonight? Are you an heir? All right, let's go on to our fourth point. Um, In verses 35 through 39, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And here is the last identity that Paul gives us in Romans 8. More than conquerors. Not only are we righteous, but because we are righteous, we are, we are sons and daughters. And not only are we sons and daughters, but because we are sons and daughters, we are heirs. And not only are we heirs, but, we, but since we are heirs, we are more than conquerors. God has granted us victory in all situations. Not even death has power over us because we believe in a resurrection of the dead and the gift of eternal life. More than a conqueror. That's what you are if Christ is in you. Is Christ in you tonight? All right, so those are the four identities that we have as Christians. And now that we, we've kind of talked about them, I'm going to kind of go into the implications of that and, and where our assurance actually does come from. So let me read this, this part again. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? In other words, Paul says, what is it that's going to sever you off from God? Is it going to be a situation or a situation or a situation or a situation or another situation? You see, trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, and sword. These are all situations we find ourselves in on a daily, if not minute-by-minute basis. And I'll prove it to you right now. Trouble for the victims of poverty, abuse, and neglect. For those of you who sit right now at the inn, thinking that no one notices you and no one cares for you. And tonight you're going to walk out of those doors and you're not going to talk to anyone. For those of you who are depressed and maybe suicidal and the joy of life has been sucked from your existence. For those of you struggling with body image and to you, food is the enemy. For those of you who've been rejected by a school, a job, a major, a person, a sports team. For those of you struggling with addictions, and they are overwhelming to you, you know what trouble feels like. Hardship. For those whose mom or dad has lost their job, and they tell you that they really can't pay for your college tuition anymore. For all the orphans who are crying in Haiti right now. For those of you who are mourning the death of a close friend or family member. Your mom or your dad, brother, sister. For those of you who have been diagnosed with cancer or another terminal illness, illness and, you, and you're really not sure how much longer you have left to live. Or maybe you're like me. And for the first time in your life, as a college student, Your world has been turned upside down because your parents' relationship just isn't what you thought it was. And now you feel abandoned and betrayed by a mom or a dad. You know what hardship feels like. Persecution. For those of you who are so incredibly sick of people belittling you and mocking you for your faith, they say, where is your God? If he is so powerful and so loving, why does suffering exist in the world? Or for people, for the Christians in countries like Turkey. And they can't even share their faith without being punished for it. You know what persecution feels like. 
famine. For the children in Africa who don't eat for days. For the parents of those children who pray for rain and it never, ever comes. For anyone who has ever thirsted or hungered for longer than their body can handle. And you are faint and weary. Or maybe all your physical needs have been met. But maybe there's a famine in your heart. And maybe you come here aching and longing for truth and meaning and community. Or maybe you've known God for a long time. But now that you're in college, you really don't feel him anymore. You know what famine feels like. Nakedness. For the ones who have lost their dignity. For the rape victims in this room right now. For the ones who are ashamed and humiliated. The ones who sit on a dirty roadside wearing nothing to cover themselves. But all the while they're crying out for someone to help them. And to give them their dignity back. You know what nakedness feels like. Danger. For the ones who live in constant fear. For the people who are sold into the sex trade. For the battered women whose husbands won't stop beating them. For the children in Uganda who are kidnapped and murdered by a rebel army. For the ones who Satan has taken under his wing to torture, to deceive, and manipulate. You know what danger feels like. Sword. For the soldiers in Iraq who risk their lives defending their loved ones and end up never coming home. For residents in the Middle East who actually have to live in the midst of chaos and war and bloodshed on a daily basis. Or maybe when you go home, you hate it because there's bickering and constant fighting. You feel like you're in the midst of a battle. You know what sword feels like. For every person I just mentioned, there is good news. There is hope. There is someone you can trust. And who is that person? It's Jesus Christ. The righteous one. The only begotten son. The heir of the father. The conqueror of all conquerors and if christ is in you and i hope and i pray and i hope and i pray that tonight he is god has taken your unrighteousness and he has given you his righteousness he has taken you in as an orphan and he has adopted you as his child he has taken you in as a stranger and has made you an heir He has taken you as beaten and as defeated as you are by your situations. And he has turned you into more than a conqueror. Not by anything you can do, but by his sheer grace. And he has done that. So that when you are experiencing pain and you are experiencing persecution, as Jesus said that you would, you can say with confidence, as the Apostle Paul did, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Glory. Think of that. That is an awesome hope. God says that you will be called glorious. You know that song we sang earlier tonight? God, you make everything glorious. You make everything glorious. You make everything glorious. So what does that make me? It's kind of a rhetorical question, right? (laughs) Because if God is the maker of everything glorious, and God has made us. Well, I guess that means that he will make us glorious one day, right? What an awesome hope that is. What a great God that we serve, that he should be mindful of us. And I want to share a brief story. Once I stop sniffling. <laughs> I want to share a brief story about a girl I met while in Malawi on deputation. Deputation, shameless plug right there. You guys should all go on it. Um, I went on deputation in 2008, and I met this girl uh, named Iga. Um, 
And yes, she's a girl. I know all the kids in Africa have shaved heads. You can't really tell what their gender is unless you look at what they're wearing. So Iga was wearing a dress, and so I assumed that she was a girl. (laughs) And I was right. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, what a joy Iga brought to my life. Um, She didn't really need much entertainment. Like, every time we walked to the villages, she would kind of walk up to me and be like, oh, like, you know, speaking her language. And I would pick her up, and all she would do would just laugh and smile. Like, she didn't really need anything to be content. Yeah, what a gentle spirit she had. Um, but um, a couple months after I returned home, I got the devastating news that Iga had actually passed away due to malnutrition. And at first I was like, God, what? Like, this is confusing. Like, she was so energetic and so full of life. Why is this happening? And don't you think, for those of you sitting right here, don't you think that a little girl living in a poverty-stricken country like Malawi, don't you think this girl experienced trouble? Of course she did. Or hardship? Yeah, nakedness? Famine? Danger? No doubt she came face-to-face with these these fears every day of her life. And even though she died before ever fully comprehending or, or accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ, it remains my hope and my prayer that God has chosen, dare I say predestined, as Paul says in verse 29, it remains my hope that God has chosen this little girl to inherit eternal life, despite all that she could not do to save herself. I pray that God in his grace and his grace alone has made her righteous, even though she was born into sin. I pray that God has called her her his daughter, even though on earth perhaps she was an orphan. I pray that God has made her an heir, even though on earth she had very little to look forward to. And I pray that God has made her into more than a conqueror, even though she's been defeated by death. My prayer is that Christ has given her an assurance and has granted her a new identity, one that is not defined by the the incredible hardships that she faced here on earth. And my prayer tonight is the same for you. But maybe for you, maybe perhaps your life is going great. Maybe you're not really experiencing much trouble that I've talked about that is expressed in Romans 8. You know, life's good. But the question still stands, where is your identity Where is your assurance? Is it rooted in your situations or is it rooted in God? Perhaps you find assurance in your material possessions, not knowing that they could actually be stolen tomorrow. Or perhaps you find assurance in your parents' marriage, like I did, not knowing that they could actually divorce tomorrow. Perhaps you find assurance in your job, not knowing you could be fired tomorrow. Or in your achievements, not knowing that you could actually die tomorrow and have it all count for nothing. Or perhaps... You find your assurance in a friend, not knowing that they could betray you tomorrow. If we continue to place our assurance in these things, we will no doubt end up disappointed. So tonight I ask you, where is your assurance? When I ask you that question, what comes to mind? What is it that will never ever let you down when everything else will fail you? Is it a GPA? A job title? Money? A person? The things that are here today but gone tomorrow? And where is your identity? Is it rooted in your situations? The things that are ever-changing, uncertain, and sometimes scary? On the contrary, if Christ is in you, your assurance is rooted in Him, the one person who is here today and will never, ever be gone tomorrow. 
And your identity, your identity is rooted in these four titles. Righteous, adopted child, heir, and more than a conqueror. Not condemned, not alienated, not broken, not defeated. At one time, yes, to be sure, all of us were in that category. But through Christ's death and his resurrection, not anymore. God says, I love you so much so that I died for you. And I rose again. Your sins are covered. Death is defeated. And now, as a Christian, your salvation is secure. I've declared you righteous. You are justified. You are my adopted child. You are an heir. And you are more than a conqueror. And God says, after all I've done for you, I've sent my son to die for you. Are you still trying to gain righteousness through the law? I've already given you your righteousness. It's from me. I've declared you righteous. I've declared you an adopted child. I've declared you an heir. And I've declared you more than a conqueror. And God says, after all I've done for you, are you going to let the situations you face here in life, famine, persecution, nakedness, and so on, are you going to let those situations come between us? And God says, even if you do, I won't. Because even when you are faithless, I remain faithful. God says, situations will come and they will go. Some will be hard and some will be easy. But know this, know this, child. In everything you go through, I will be at work inside of you. Working everything out for your good and my glory. As Paul says, And that is redemption right there. If Christ is in you, he has already redeemed your soul, but he wants to redeem the rest of your life as well. And the tough situations you go through in life, they're only going to draw you closer to God and make you cling to him ever more if, indeed, Christ is in you. So what more? What more can we say? If Christ is in us, who can be against us? If Christ is in you, you have nothing to fear. If you could add up all the commandments in the Bible where God says, do not. Which do not command do you think would be the most prominent? Do not murder? No. Do not fear? Yes. <laughs> that is that is the answer. Do not fear, God says. Do not fear your situations. If Christ is in you, you have everything you need and everything you need is all that matters. He is the source of our assurance and our new identity. Because unlike our situations, which are external, ever-changing, and unstable, Christ is internal, never-changing, and stable. And he is in us, and he will never, ever, ever, ever let us down. (laughs) Um, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, Neither present nor future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And knowing that, please direct your attention to the screen once more. Probably the word cancer, because almost like every member of my family has cancer or has cancer and has died from cancer. So probably the word cancer just creeped me out and just... What am I most afraid of? Um, I don't know how to put it in words. I 
guess like getting old, but not necessarily age-wise, but sort of losing like the vigor of life that we have as like college students. Um, I would say my biggest fear would be that my lack of drive and ambition will keep me from achieving the dreams that I have. So, what is your biggest fear in life? Um, I think like deep water, drowning. And like drowning. Ooh, my biggest fear um, would probably be, I think, turning away from the people that I love the most and um, kind of forsaking all that I believe in, I guess. Uh, being surrounded by goats. <laughs> my biggest fear? <laughs> At this point in time, flunking. Out of here. <laughs> I'm new. Afraid of succeeding, I guess, too. Um, I guess not succeeding at what I want to do. I do not want to be an app rat. <laughs> I would not want to end up like those people, because that would be terrifying. And losing people, terrified of losing people in this, too. I don't know, uh, just, sometimes everything's just scary, so life is scary, so I probably life. It's fear. Hard. I don't really have any fears. I mean, I I used to, but they've all kind of dissolved, and as one emerges, it kind of dissolves as well. Uh, because I believe in Christ, and the thing is that uh, once you realize that you're in the hands of the Creator of the universe, uh, you you stop fearing little things, even if. You know, Nazi Germany was to rise up or something again, and you know you put in concentration camps. Your your worries are no longer about you know this life. If you know that there's another life to come. So, I mean, I have some fears, but they they're often taken away as I kind of give them over to the Lord. Yeah, okay. yeah. There there is that there is a resurrection of the dead. I think is is the biggest thing I'm sure of. And you know, Christ being the first and the architect. I am convinced that neither death nor life, whether your heart is beating right now or not, neither angels nor demons, whether you're being uplifted or attacked right now, neither the present nor the future, whether you're young and successful or old and broke, nor any powers neither height nor depth, whether you're on top of a mountain or, or drowning in the sea, nor anything, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Dear God, I thank you that in Christ alone our hope is found. God, I thank you that you are our assurance. And because of you, you have taken our unrighteousness and have given us righteousness. You have called us children and heirs and more than conquerors through your death and your resurrection. God, I thank you that there is no guilt in life and no, no fear in death. And God, no power of hell and no scheme of man will ever pluck us from your hands. God, thank you for everything you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.